I just have a really hard time imagining Messi deciding between crunch berries or peanut butter crunch. <laughs> Welcome back to a very special episode of Dead FC. We're tentatively calling it Dead After Dark, which sounds a lot more provocative than it actually is. All that really means is the baby's gone to bed. It's 8.30 on a Friday and dad's had half a beer. So literally anything could happen. (laughs) Super stoked to have y'all here. Cheers. Cheers. We've got Jensen in the studio. And then Ryan, you're cooking from the Classic City. How's it going? I am. I'm in Athens. It's going good, guys. I miss being in person with you. I know. It's weird. We're not going to make this a regular occurrence. We'll keep the boys in house. Yeah, for sure. How was y'all's week? Today was a really good day. I went to a local pub to watch Leeds play, and we dominated for 89 of the 90 minutes and walked out of there with three points. That's big. Yeah. That's big. On Congrats. Your yeah. Yeah. On your way back up to Premier. Shit. Maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully. Although we are playing really well this season and like what's better being a middling club or a club fighting relegation in the prem or dominating the championship. But to dominate the championship, you have to go up. You can't just be mediocre. I know. Right. That's the weird thing is um, like there's all these guys that like have been Leeds fans for 30 years and they're like, oh, maybe we should stay in the championship. I don't know if I want us to go up. Um I think part of that's just like that English pessimism uh, because they don't want to be in the relegation battle next season. But at the same time, the reason why you're saying that is because it feels really good to win. And that's exactly what we're doing in the championship. But if we're too good at that, then we're going to get promoted. What, What if you just blast through it and just like three quarters of the season you're winning and just say, give yourself some medals, sit on the toilet for the rest of the season and get zero points and then you're back and do it again. Yeah. I'd fucking suck. I would hate it. I would hate it. Well, that's what you're saying though. I know that's the thing. And I don't really understand that, but especially now that we've got new owners that have deep pockets and are ready to spend. If we go back up, I know they'll be able to reload the squad. We're, we probably won't be challenging for a trophy anytime soon, but hopefully after we go back up, we won't be in a relegation battle and we can just, solidify ourselves as a premiership club one can dream there it is yeah there it is well i mean there's been a lot of good happening today sounds like leads one mm-hmm. which is really funny because what we're about to talk about is incredibly dark yes <laughs> it's like i was trying to think about that i was like man i'm really excited it's friday just get to talk with the boys a little bit record a pod and then i was like how am i going to transition my energy into this but you know, that's kind of the challenge, I think, with every single well, one of our episodes. This story, if you haven't been following, has been pretty dramatic. Luis Diaz, obviously a winger at Liverpool. His father and mother were kidnapped at gunpoint by the National Liberation Army. So this is their abbreviated ELN in Spanish. And they're a Marxist-Leninist insurgency group. So basically an anti-government group. On October 28th, they got kidnapped at gunpoint as they were leaving a gas station. And since the story has come out, I mean, obviously, this is a really high profile case. He's a global superstar. But this is just a really terrible 
circumstance because this isn't the first time this has happened in this sport or to a footballer. Yeah, and that's what makes this pretty interesting too because they said they don't know who he was, but then what was the motivation? I think that's probably BS, and I think that goes into what we're talking today. There's a lot of motivations to what's happening, and I think this fits into that elite soccer stars being targeted, right? What, whether whatever they said is accurate or not. 100%, yeah. They clearly knew what this was. And I, I, we can talk about motivations in a second because I think that's really important. But yeah, this is all too common. There have been many stories in the past which have not had happy endings, which have gone very dark and, and even ended in death. Fuck, that's intense. Yeah, I mean, think about the fact that you're just a regular athlete. That just, I think what's so shocking for us, especially being Americans in our American perspective, that stuff doesn't really happen. Like the, they, the, the closest thing we have, like is players being targeted would be whatever scandal or a woman trying to get pregnant from a, from an NBA star or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to attach themselves to somebody to get that money. But these extreme measures of kidnapping family or relatives is, you know, shocking. Yeah. One of the stories that I alluded to, basically, this was Wilson Palacios. He was the Honduran international. And his younger brother, when he was basically, he had been linked to Tottenham. And the really tragic thing was when he was linked to Tottenham, his family knew that was going to make them a target because it was going to be a high, high cost transfer, really expensive transfer. And so they tried to hide that link. They were like, let's keep this under wraps. We don't want anyone to know about this. This is going to make us a target. But what ended up happening was his younger brother, Edwin, he was 14 years old at the time, was kidnapped. And um, eventually, Wilson and his family actually did end up paying a ransom in the six figures, I believe. Um, I don't know if it was disclosed. And because they thought they would go to his release and still no word from his family from, about Edwin. And then 18 months later, his brother was found dead. And it just breaks my heart thinking about him. And he's actually gone on to work for different organizations. I think there was an organization, uh, I don't remember the name, but it's basically trying to get kids off the streets out of like, and get them out of criminal gang activity. And it was trying to turn them into coffee entrepreneurs. So he was like kind of the face of this organization that was trying to do that and raise some good out of it. But I remember reading a quote and he was basically like, it just made me hate soccer. He said, I didn't know if I could ever play again. I was just completely distraught. And imagine, you know, the peak of your career, you're linked to one of the biggest clubs in the world. And you're, you know, that with that same glory comes incredible pain, possible pain, and it happens over and they know it's going to happen. That is so scary as a young footballer trying to make it all you're hyper-focused, you're working hard. And yet it could come to, to a tragic situation with your family. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it brings up a couple it brings up a couple thoughts here for me too. Actually going back, we were talking Jensen, you're talking about leads and how good you actually want them to be in the championship or do you want them kind of middling? And it kind of reminds me of like these young soccer stars coming from the streets and coming from nothing. Like how can you get so far but also maintain that low profile? And it's probably almost impossible. You always hear just in other areas of entertainment too, like fame is a prison. And it's hard everywhere, too. And this is one where the fame comes with really scary circumstances because I think we talked in the first episode of this pod about how widespread soccer is 
across the world and how many people play and how much money is in it. So I just think because of that, the income inequality between like people who kind of make it versus where they came from is crazy, right? Totally. Yeah. The socioeconomic disparities are a real, apparently a big motivator for a lot of these criminal gangs. And I tried to do some research and I didn't get any conclusive results just about the amount of money that these gangs have been basically been able to get by via ransom. Nothing really came up because obviously a lot of ransoms are paid undisclosed amounts. But what is interesting, I was re- one reading, reading one article just basically about this whole situation. And it was saying that essentially criminal gangs, if you think of them as a true organization, criminal operations, will work kidnapping of footballers into their revenue streams. So they plan out kidnapping high-profile targets with the intent of making money for ransom. So it's an insane concept. And this is already part of their day-to-day operations. This is how they're fueling their armed operations. This is how they're fueling their guerrilla wars. And can you imagine, again, coming from like Luis Diaz and coming from Colombia and coming from these areas, knowing that as much success as you're about to have, it's just going to paint the biggest target on your back. Yeah, I think too, besides just like ransom sounds scary and kidnapping sounds scary and like people being tied up. But I think a lot of times, I mean, just the whole fact that this is happening widespread and you said they're targeting people because they know they're rich and they know they have a lot of things. Like even if they're not intent on harming or killing, a lot of like break-ins happen like the violence that happens in mean, is on happenstance and on accident because someone was there when he didn't think they were there. So just like the prevalence of not even kidnapping, but the prevalence of people targeting homes of people when they know they're gone and things like that, it's scary at all levels of it. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the big thing, I think, again, kind of thinking about our American perspective and thinking about where this stuff is kind of is happening. You look at all these stories and a lot of them are happening in these third world or developing nations that has political insecurity and economic insecurity where the only way to be rich is to be a government official or be in bed with one and or the the other option is to be a part of a criminal organization and the fact that they include this in kind of their fiscal plan Unreal. it's like we're going to sell drugs we're going to run guns and we're going to kidnap people yeah yeah those are our three those are our three verticals Let's do some, uh, yeah, we'll do some planning for Q4. Yeah. Um, I put that in the PNL. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I, I do want to say, so this wasn't a familial kidnapping, but Alan Polito, who plays, he's a Mexican striker and he currently plays for Sporting KC. He actually was kidnapped himself back in 2016. And he actually, he escaped by overpowering the kidnapper, seizing a gun and breaking out like through a window. And then he called emergency services and they came and made the arrest. But we, you talk about kidnappings of the father and or of the mother or brother and as tragic as they are, it's not only just the family that's at, in danger. You could yourself be a target. So he, he kind of carries that story with him here in the United States now that he's playing, but which I'm sure he's probably glad to be playing in the United States for that reason. But but it's not only the the families that are at target, it's just the player themselves, which is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, that reminds me, I know I've talked about super strikers in here. There's a, a lot of uh, instances of kidnapping and violence in that show. And really what they realize is you shouldn't try to do that to elite athletes. So I just kind of thought of that. I'm going to bring up super strikers as much as possible. 
Yeah, we definitely need to do a watch through. But like, think about how dumb you must feel like after you get your ass whipped by uh, an elite athlete and they just can pummel you and then get away. Here's what I just want to acknowledge. All right, Ryan, you brought up super strikers. When you first brought up super, super strikers, it was because there's potentially like racist stereotypes in this show. And now you say they have a ton of violence and kidnapping and you watch this with your son. I love that. I love that. Raising my good, wholesome entertainment. My my son's favorite song is also Dance of Death by Iron Maiden. I'm doing something right. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. You're pulling that together. Going back to what you said, Ryan, it's not only the kidnappings, but it's also the break-ins. So I know there have been numerous stories of players who, yeah, especially in the Premier League, for example, there's an away match. So obviously the, the criminals know that they're away from their house and they break in. Yeah, I just, that I feel like, if I were in their situation, it would be one of the scariest things is because think about it, like the wags, wives and girlfriends, they're usually still at home. And then because you're on the road playing an away match, like you're gone. And so they think they can come in and then like you're leaving them defenseless. Yeah, that's, that's super scary. And that's, I mean, that's like the public knowledge, the schedule and all that. And I know there are some examples in the U.S. that have happened. But it just happens so often, too, because like I, I was reading a bunch of articles about this and every single one of them brought up social media. If the if they know this player is in town and this player posts this awesome dinner that they're at and their girlfriends across the table for them, they know that they're both there immediately at that moment. So that's even a better tell than the schedule. Right. I was reading an article. It said just I don't know how they define high profile, but it said just in the between 2019 and 2021, I think there was over 20 instances of publicly reported robberies of soccer stars and their families across Europe's top leagues. And it's people that even non-big soccer fans have heard of. Like, you got Reese James, Weston McKinney, Jao Cancelo. I mean, all these big guys, Di Maria, Odomendi, Weston McKinney. Just, I mean, for U.S. people, that one a lot of people know. I mean, it's a lot of people and it happens all the time. And I think that's just scary. And this one becomes super scary because it's like, they were kidnapped and they don't know where they are and they're being held for ransom. And it's a little like on the intense side of things instead of stealing a watch or a car. But it happens and, and people don't just target the low profile players. Like these are big players at big clubs and they're putting a lot on the line to, to do these things. Yeah. And that's the thing is at the end of the day, like if you get your car stolen out of your driveway and you're not home or you're safely locked inside your house, that's one thing. But if, if you're getting robbed and you're getting the shit taken off of your person that adds that additional level of danger that really only a few people ever have to experience and that's definitely a very different thing yeah and i mean that the, the off your person start one i didn't mention too was when robin olson was at his house with his wife and like two children and they were like bound up and attacked by a mass gang with like machetes and they stole a bunch of jewelry and no one was hurt and they were fine but they were all home and this high profile dude was in his home and i i you never know what could have happened or if they would have tried to fight back what would have happened with those machetes but that's super scary i've heard several times over the years that i've watched mls that internet older especially older international players love coming to the u.s and playing here because of relative anonymity and an Jesus Christ, <laughs> I, I couldn't say that word. Too many beers. Uh, relative anonymity. There we go. Ah, 
this, if you try real hard, you can say words, <laughs> but they love that, that they can go to the mall and fucking nobody knows who they are. And for years, I just thought, okay, yeah, it, they like playing here for the same reason that NFL players like going to Europe because nobody knows who the fuck they are. But there's like this additional layer of if you're a footballer in Colombia or Argentina, or you're a player playing somewhere in Europe and you're still getting targeted and all this stuff is happening. And if that's not happening in the U.S., that's got to be a sigh of relief. Yeah. I just want to add in a, a little note here. I've seen Miles Robinson on two occasions here in Atlanta. First time he was shopping for Christmas decorations at Target uh, with his mother. Uh, had some great selections. I was in that same aisle. So good stuff. Second time was recently. He and I both went to the same pumpkin patch. Um, so <laughs> he was there with some family, I think. And I was there taking taking Wells and Brenna. We were grabbing some pumpkins. It was just really funny. And obviously I knew who he was. And I i wasn't going to be like bombarding him. It was respect his time. But he, here he was in Atlanta, high profile player, and still was able to basically go out unscathed. So that was, uh, that was cool. Hey, Ro- Miles Robinson, if you're listening to this, what's up? Be a guest on our pod. Yeah, we'd love to yeah. have you. I, every time I see Miles Robinson now, I think about how you talk about how well his clothes fit. And every time someone asks what <laughs> I would do if I won the lottery, I would, I say that I would buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes that just fit. Yeah. Yeah. And Anyways, also, do you think anyone recognized Messi when he went to that Publix? That's why he came here. So no one to recognize him, right? Well, th- it's different for somebody like Messi. He I'm just kidding. Is- <laughs> I know. I know. See, you fucker. You, you know I've been drinking. And, and- My God, that's funny. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> I do want to say, didn't he have Count Chocula in his, like, he had some, like, crazy cereals in there? Oh, there was, like, four or five different cereals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, there's this stand-up comedian that has, like, a seven-minute bit just about American Captain Crunch. So I'm not surprised that somebody that has spent the majority of their life in Spain coming here and being like, oh my God, sugar cereal. I want to try them all. I just have a really hard time imagining Messi deciding between crunch berries or peanut butter crunch. <laughs> like that is the choice is clear though. It's always peanut butter crunch. I, mean, I agree. I agree. Um, I'm reading this article that says, in addition to being impressed by Messi's lucky charms pick, fans were generally shocked that the stalker, the soccer legend actually does his own grocery shopping. Yeah. We all were shocked, right? But did he get a pub sub? That's the true sign of an American. Ooh, so here's my cynicism. How likely is it that Publix paid him to go do his own grocery? Oh, 100%. Shop? Yeah. I mean, because... Aren't they like big sponsors of Inter-Miami? Well, that and, and Atlanta United, because they're a regional chain and they're imported to the entire South. But uh, yeah, because uh, the other thing is, if he actually did all his own grocery shopping, there'd be pictures of him going shopping every week. And it's only happened once. Yeah. And he had a full cart. So that boy was in there for a minute. Either that or, or they were just like, just fill this thing up and we'll take a few po- photos and call it a day. Man, but this is crazy. This is so common. The players in the stories that you've read are most of these players getting ripped off with their people breaking into their cars at the training ground or breaking into their houses or these guys getting held up on the street. Most of them are kind of at the house is nonviolent. Like Weston McKinney's, he had his clothes and other items stolen from his house while he was playing in a cup match. Um, Fabinho, his car was stolen while he was like celebrating with the team out after they won the Premier League. James, his car and 
was stolen and his house was robbed, but I don't think he was there. So a lot of these are like, hey, people know they're gone or that they're out for a while and they just kind of go in and be like, here, I can get a quick, easy fix and get something from them and not have to have any sort of confrontation and not risk going to jail for a violent crime. And, and it just, so that's kind of what most of them are. And probably a lot of those are unreported too. Yeah. That's interesting. The, yeah, these players are targets, like it's particularly like their houses and stuff because of how active they kind of have to be on social media. And I definitely wanted to talk a bit about kind of something that I think is somehow a lighter topic than what we've been talking about kidnap and murder but still pretty rough yeah oh so it's a beautiful game yeah oh man this has been kind what of depressing dark side of it yeah, yeah. But, but since this episode has been pretty depressing let's let's lighten it up a bit and talk about the horrific abuse that players and their families are subjected to online as well as we started talking about this i immediately thought of last season patrick bamford was just coming back from injury and he had a really poor run of form, just like missing tap-ins and skying penalties and just all like all around just like kind of looking not his self pre-injury. And because his form was so poor and because Leeds was in a really were in a relegation battle, there was like all this pressure. And unfortunate to say, especially as a Leeds fan, uh, he started getting online abuse and not just him, but also his wife and his family just getting fucking pummeled with with like threats of violence and abusive language to the point that like uh the the club had to come out and make an official statement condemning people and also there was some in-person kind of verbal abuses lobbed at him as well as like the opposing team's manager and they had to and the club had to hand down a lifetime ban to the fan in the stadium that was shouting things and if you would look at his face and the way he carried himself after all that stuff came out, you could tell one that it had broken him, especially like getting his family involved and just like the level of abuse that was being hurled at him. Like his trust and kind of love for that fan base was obviously like instantly broken. And I don't know if that's ever going to be built back. And it's kind of crazy. We also see like, Kyle Walker-Peters and, and and Bukayo Saka both experienced an extreme version of this with racial abuses. I think mm -hmm. it was Saka after, national team after they lost the Euros and Kyle Walker-Peters, he went into a crunching tackle against Manchester United and the player that he, that he tackled had to come off due to an injury and he was subjected to racist abuses and threats of violence. Yeah, I think... One really interesting thing when you talk about just the footballer in the limelight and especially in regards to social media is not only do they have to deal with the abuse they get while they're actually playing and then when they get it online, when they go home and they, and they face that, the to be a modern footballer today, you need basically to be an influencer. If you want to win endorsements, if you, you need to be available all the time. For those players who experience that kind of insane and incessant abuse online, they have to make a decision that, I mean, they're going to throw away a bunch of endorsements like for their career. And yeah. again, that money doesn't matter in those situations. You have to do what's best for your mental health and you obviously have to do what's best for, for your, you and your family. But I mean, there's still that decision that has to be made. 
and they can't escape it. So it's that constant limelight, that constant pressure it, and, and the target that comes with it. Yeah. And it gets worse when they try to bite back or fight back or because then they look defensive and they get it even worse and they don't want to, I mean, they're towing a th thin line and fine line before getting sued or I don't know. They, a lot can happen when you're that high profile. So they're kind of, they're kind of at a loss. Yeah. The ref always sees the re retaliation and not the re initial foul. But yeah, and, and I think that it's important to to point out that there is definitely a difference between just like voicing your dissatisfaction that a player played like shit. It's, oh, you should have made that penalty or that was a terrible foul. But to be like, you should have missed that penalty and but or you shouldn't have missed that penalty, but because you did, you're a piece of shit and you deserve to die. That is an entirely different level and people don't fucking deserve that. But part of being a public figure is getting negative feedback but that is very different from what these players are being subjected to what if what if y'all were at work and someone you did something and someone looked at you and was like you're a piece of shit and you deserve to die and i'm gonna be the one who kills you tomorrow that's, that's wild right I these guys, guys hear that all the, the time day. <laughs> yeah i know well i mean you bring up a good point because i know obviously clubs back their players and they're they speak out against these people who do this, they give them lifetime bans and that sort of thing. But like sometimes I feel, and especially like when you think about kidnappings and kind of all the pressure that these players have and all the abuse that they deal with, are these players adequately prepared for what they're going to have? And should clubs have more responsibility in getting them prepared for that? And Or is there anything that a club sh could or should do to get them there? I don't know what's happening inside of clubs. I really hope that sports psychologists are standard fare at every club but beyond that i don't really know how much you can do yeah and i think just actual physical protection is extremely important too and the clubs do have security and like all that but not they can't do that at their homes they can't dictate that they can't control that so like a lot of players and a lot of people maybe feel too proud to do that or they go overboard and do it a lot i was reading an article that's it's like a huge industry overseas of protection and everything for players there's whole like canine dog organizations that just raise dogs to protect not just soccer players but other celebrities and things but it's like a it's become like a whole industry in itself for that protection and if you think about it that's got to screw with your mental health and your emotions all the time to know that you have to have that level of protection it takes some getting used to it's almost scarier than kind of walking around by yourself yeah no 100 percent I also think that there needs to be some more accountability on media, like basically from the back pages. And I mean, of course, paparazzi are known for being paparazzi. It's always said, you know, this kind of pressure comes with the territory when you're a celebrity, when you're famous. But there's... L Lady Gaga saying so much about this, guys. Yeah, she she really is. And uh, I just, I, I feel really bad because um, you think about how young some of these footballers are and they get picked up so young and they get thrown in the news when they're playing up in the academy. They, and most of these players, they start at six. So they're exposed to this when before they're even like, you know, a teenager, before they even really understand what's going on with them as a person. And uh, they just have to deal with this kind of level of pressure and it keeps building up. And then obviously for most footballers who tap out in the mid thirties or upper thirties, I mean, that's your entire, basically your entire existence where you've only known that kind of pressure and then probably only known that kind of abuse. And I think, too, also, it's got to be such a mental game, just an absolute seesaw. I think about Trent Alexander-Arnold all the time because last season he was having some struggles and received a ton of abuse. 
And now he's, you know, he's having quite a good season. And, you know, for him, who's just having to deal with this, like, good and bad, and you just don't really even know who you are, and you're just trying to get better every day, and you're just trying to be a part of the team. You know, now he's vice captain at Liverpool, and so he's got some street cred, and I think people are respecting him and understanding why Klopp made that decision. But again, it's not only the bad, it's like having to deal with the bad and the good that just constantly comes at you from both sides. Yeah, and I think the Trent Alexander-Arnold part brings up some interesting things to me, right? These players are from all over the world, going to play in different parts of the world, usually or different countries. They're not on their home turf. They're almost like a have to be defensive coming into a hornet's nest kind of thing. And that's just, I mean, that's another part of it. They don't know these cities sometimes. They don't know the languages sometimes. It's dangerous. But on the other side, for like Trent, he grew up in this community. He's from Liverpool. He's he, Since he was a little kid, he's been there. And so he knows these people. They're his neighbors. It probably sincerely hurts when he hears things on a very personal level. When one day there's a, I mean, there's murals on buildings there for him. But then he still has to walk by those and hear just like harassment because he like was slow to a ball and gave up a goal or had a bad cross or whatever. And it's almost like how sincere, if you want to tell yourself that's not that sincere and they don't really think that, then you're probably questioning the praise also. Do you think it's just a matter of the negative voices are just louder online? 100%. Because I don't have, I can't imagine that, I mean, because I guess to your point, like you're not responding to him on Instagram and being like, Hey, you played great, bud. But you're mo- most of the comments are probably people who are leaving something negative. So it's just that it's like when you go to a restaurant, like you rarely say, "Oh yeah, that food was so good." But you'll leave a review if it's like really bad. You're like, "Oh yeah, that was yeah." There was a cockroach in my taco. That was terrible. Yeah, I leave the comment "nice calves" on all of Trent's images. <laughs> um, just kidding, but maybe. But no, I think. That was cro- you? I think it is the you always hear it's the majority that is terrible and you don't have to listen to them and online is not real life and people are like, oh, you're too online. But it's when it crosses the line that it comes scary. And there's a lot of instances of that. It's hard to tell what's real and what's not. And I think that just makes it all the more confusing. It's just a crazy environment to be in and you don't know what to trust sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think so again. There, there's a line, I think, and some of it, maybe I'm callous because I've never been famous, nor a footballer, nor a famous footballer. <laughs> maybe this is just my brain thinking about, but like, if you are in the public eye, like you got to be able to accept that there's some level of stick. If you do have a shit game, you're going to get people who be like, oh man, you played like shit. You need to get back in the gym. You fucking wank. <laughs> but like whenever, like we were saying, like going beyond that. Actually, have you ever heard of the England women's international, Karen Carney? She played for England and had a very successful career uh, as a footballer and has now had her started her second career in broadcasting. And she's one of the people that has been able to make a transition into the men's game as well and being a broadcaster there. Before a Leeds match in the 2020-2021 season, which is our promotion season, before the West Brom match, she said that the reason why Leeds got promoted was because COVID that helped Leeds get promoted was the, the, the COVID situation. And that was in the pregame to the West Brom where we beat them 5-0. Um, and so the official Leeds United Twitter page posted that clip of her saying that 
with like the, the chin scratching emoji and then showed the table from the previous season, our promotion season, where we won the league by 10 points and just be like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Which is fucking hilarious. And I mean, the same way that like, if you follow Atlanta United after Atlanta United beat, beat Miami, they used like a, an edited (laughs) photo. Messi, Yeah. The pizza. If you don't know, Messi posted a picture of an Argentinian pizza which looked kind of disgusting. I mean, it was a salad. (laughs) (laughs) It looked straight up like a salad. Yeah. And he posted that picture of what he was eating while he was out injured. And after the match, we edited the photo so that that salad that was on top of what's supposed to be a pizza was in the shape of an L. And that kind of stick, I think, in my opinion, is kind of normal. And I told you the story about the Karen Carney thing, and you both of you laughed. What's not a laughing matter is after Leeds posted that, Trolls started abusing her online and calling her names and being threatening and stuff like that. And there was there were several pundits that said that Leeds was responsible for that. That was incitement, which in my opinion is total bullshit to say that is that was incitement and that was wrong and they need to delete the tweet and apologize. No, if it had been Thierry Henry that said the exact same thing and we had done the exact same thing to Thierry Henry, nobody would have said shit. Uh, to Leeds about about the abusive comments afterwards. So I think that understanding where that line is, where we feel like really sensitive about this stuff because it is serious. I mentioned Patrick Bamford. I mentioned Saka. Like these guys have had like serious, serious trauma from the abuse they've experienced online. And that's important. But knowing where to draw that line of what's acceptable and what's not and who to, who's at fault and who's to blame and who is not. I mean, I work online i'm in digital marketing and i'm wiped as hell at the end of the day most days i can't imagine how just like tired and beat and just mentally physically emotionally everything these players are and also having the deal on top of it it probably is pretty defeating and it also leaves them just like really vulnerable to the actual physical attacks and stuff i think a lot of this is there's so much going on in their lives they're so scheduled and so just having to be so in top premier physical shape and having to do all these things, like there's just so much going on in their lives that it just opens them up to so much happening to them. Yeah, we actually had an episode about that, like some of the dangerous pitfalls that they face when it comes to like uh, gambling and and stuff because they have such a a regimented life. So if you're not subscribed, subscribe. I was actually thinking of that when you were saying that. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, like this full gambit between, because I feel like there's previous generations that don't really understand social media and that impact of having literally the entire world right there that can get to you and on, on your phone. They may think that that's, I'm over, this is being overblown, but, and I, it's, but going from that where you're not like physically in danger whenever somebody tweets something racist or abusive or threatening to you. All the way, and then from there, all the way to your family and you yourself are getting kidnapped and tortured and held up for money. And if you're the person, if you're the footballer with the money and your family members are taken and you're giving them the money, really, there's not even really a real guarantee that you're actually going to get that person back to you. They may already be dead. And then you're just giving money to the murderers. Exactly. And it's just a really interesting kind of perspective to have when you whenever you're watching these footballers and they have a shit game 
And it's okay. Yeah, you played like shit today. But also realizing that they are human beings and they do have these full whole of their lives. And do you really want to add to the voices that are getting in their heads that very likely could prolong that poor performance that you're maligning them for in the first place? Right. And I think too, like I mentioned, these are 18, 19, 20, through their 20s and then early 30s. That is such an impressionable age where you do not know mm-hmm. who you are. Like, I still, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I'm 31 now and I still feel like I'm, I know myself for the most part, but I figure I learned new things about myself all the time. But I could not imagine being under that constant attack, both verbal or in true reason and physical, that to kind of pressure. And then you have to live with that for the rest of your life. So you've had this in- really intense pressure cooker for maybe two decades. And then, and then it all sort of cuts off and then the silence has got to be deafening. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were to do a psychoanalysis of footballers on top of peak physical fitness, I feel like there has to be some level of, I'm going to call it narcissism that comes with that because like to be a really good footballer, you've got to be super confident and think that you are the main character in the world story. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to walk onto the pitch with that with the, with the swagger necessary to be a top footballer. Right. And so, yeah, that turn off switch where it's like you retire and then there's fucking nothing. You may have all the money in the world to do whatever you wanted to do, but what you want to do is be in the limelight and yeah. there's nothing for you to do, it, do now. It's very interesting thinking about what that's got to be like. Yeah. I, there just needs to be some some sort of transition or someone to help them both getting into that stardom and then coming out of it. Um, you know, I hope obviously they have good therapists and great people to talk to because that's, those are some really stark stops and starts like that'll just wreck you, you know, as a person. This was a pod that we kind of wanted to put together because this, this Luis Diaz story was happening. This is a really, really high profile situation. And it's not just, it's not just Luis Diaz being a superstar. It's a terrible thing that's happening to a human being. Um, at someone who's in, you know, should be the happiest moment of their life. But this is our first Dead After Dark episode. Uh, boys, as always, enjoyable. Uh, make sure everyone listening, go find us and follow us at Dead FC Pod. If you're not already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's very important. So, okay, Ryan, I have to go. Yeah. Did you wake up the baby? I hope not. Cool. Okay, go, Will. Don't get in trouble. Goodbye. See you, bud.